This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. This week on The Back Pass, we look back at the life and times of the king of spin, Shane Warne, a larger-than-life superstar who is sadly no longer among us. We discuss his legacy and what he meant to us as sports fans. Sticking with cricket, the Women's World Cup is underway right here in New Zealand. We talk about our favourite moments and what has been a gripping tournament so far. All that and more, coming right up. Hello and welcome to The Back Pass. I'm your host, Pavesh Malani. And with me today, I have someone who's apparently hosted a show featuring Stephen McIver. It's Ali Mawala. Hey guys, how's everyone doing? Uh, it was so good to see the NRL ki- NRL season kick off. Uh, see the Warriors run out and SJ back in a Warriors jersey. It was um, His performance was phenomenal. I think that's exactly what the Warriors missed. And it was great to see him. Um, we let ourselves down. I dropped the ball too many times and made it too easy. But that's fixable. So still could be our year. Yeah, yeah. We're still we're still keeping the faith. And Ali, I hear you were giving virtual hugs to Stephen during the game. Is that <laughs> is that rumor true? Can you confirm it for us on the podcast? <laughs> there were a lot of virtual condolences all around. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad to have you back on. I think you did a great job. Yes, uh, the last week, man, it was great. Moving on to our next panelist, he seems to follow every sport on earth. And I guess if you're a Man United fan these days, you can be forgiven for seeking comfort elsewhere. It's Gurpreet Rana. Hey, everyone. Pavish, uh, you and I, we were giving each other virtual sues after <laughs> that Ronaldo hat <laughs> Man, what a mixed... Look, it's been a mixed weekend for you, though, hasn't it? You've had the Crusaders going down, the Warriors going down, but then United of all teams comes up Ooh. and um, gives you a little bit of comfort. So, yeah. How's how's the roller coaster been? I, I tell you, when when Harry Maguire turned that ball into our own net, <laughs> it was looking pretty bleak, but it was all uh, worth it. Ronaldo, that was beautiful. Your fantasy Premier League team must have done very well this week. Back in the top hundred k. Oh, the man. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> now, we have given him grief for his age, but look, we'll give him a break this week. Yeah, because he'll soon be old enough to remember a time when Chelsea were owned by a shady Russian oligarch. It's everyone's favorite human encyclopedia. It's Siobhan Kube. Hello, everyone. Hello, Bhavesh. Nice seeing you after a couple of weeks. I hope our research has been going well. It has. And in fact, I think Harry has proven himself to be more useless than petrified wood. I'm going to call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) Much love to Harry Maguire. I do hope you turn it around. Please don't come knocking on my door. Only five foot 11. You can break me like a twin. Thank you. And last but most certainly not least, joining us all the way from India, where he's running the rule on the current crop of left-handed keepers, it's uh, Mr. Cricket himself, Sid Bala. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Good to see you all. Let's see, there's something about left-handers and wicketkeepers. We are a rare breed. We are a special breed. We do things differently, and we don't do what we are told to do. Simple as that. I said one thing about Rishabh Pant last week. Everyone's expecting Rishabh Pant's going to mature very soon. Next minute, he was trying one-hand sixes. There you go. <laughs> That's left-handers for you. And yeah, on that, it takes a cash. There you go. Seventh wicket gone. <laughs> well, excellent. We're getting live updates here from the game. I've There it is. I see it now. So my stream's a bit delayed. No more surprises, please, Sid. <laughs> <laughs> I 
still don't see a catch on my stream, so no spoilers, anyone. I see the Indian fans celebrating. Uh, I'm guessing something's happened. Um, <laughs> right, well, on with the show. Last week, the sporting world was rocked by the passing of two giants of the game, Australian legends Rod Marsh and Shane Warne. It was a hammer blow for everyone on this podcast, and we've had a week now to process our thoughts. Today, we will focus on Shane Warne's legacy, and, and this is in no way an attempt to diminish what Rod Marsh achieved during his life. However, most of us are too young to have actually watched him play, and we feel it would do his legacy a disservice to offer an opinion one way or another. Suffice it to say that Rod Marsh will forever be remembered as one of the finest keepers Australia, or indeed the world, has ever produced, and our thoughts are with his family during these difficult times. Moving on to Shane Warne, a player who has been an ever-present in this panel's life for as long as we can remember. As a player, he could win matches single-handedly, often to the dismay of opposition fans. As captain, he guided the Rajasthan Royals to victory in the inaugural IPL. And as a broadcaster, he regaled us with his insights in the game. And that was when he wasn't operating as an unofficial spokesperson for Melbourne. <laughs> Warney lived the sort of life that deserved to be celebrated and not mourned. And that's what we shall try to do today. Shabak, what did Shane Warn mean to you? I mean, with Shane Warn, right? I can only be envious of the likes of Adam Gilchrist and Ian Healy because they got the best seats in the house to watch unarguably the best leg spinner of our time in action week in, week out, or day in, day out, as I should say. Bhavesh, you've touched on quite a few good points. Warney could change the game by himself. He didn't need a supporting cast to do it. The confidence that he had in his ability to break partnerships, take wickets, the way he read the game, they were all exemplary. And I mean, sure, he's had some moments in his careers which he wouldn't be proud of, but by and large... It was a career to be celebrated. He was a genius in action. And you could see it with the way he bowled, the way he picked his lines, his lengths, his variations, when to bowl the wrong one or when to bowl something else. Absolute pleasure to watch. And I feel honored that I was able to watch him in action. I was able to hear him while he was commentating and not going on about Melbourne, but actually giving <laughs> insights into the game and I could learn something. Yeah, my deepest sympathies are with the Warne family right now as they grieve, along with the rest of the cricketing world. And in fairness to Warney as well, Melbourne's actually a pretty cool city, isn't it? You can forgive him for going on and on about the city. They would definitely get my tick of approval. <laughs> Wonder why. <laughs> you're gonna take over the mantle of uh, melbourne spokesperson from warning are you ali if i'm allowed sure why not it's it's very easy to talk great about melbourne i mean just last week the the coffees that i was enjoying fantastic by the riverside yeah. hey, i mean you get that in sydney as well so you know yeah but you gotta travel an hour in traffic to get there <laughs> it's, about, it's about a five minute walk but yeah <laughs> No one's walking. <laughs> no one mentioned the traffic, please. We're very touchy about the traffic here in Sydney. At all least right, well, not the Aucklanders. <laughs> <laughs> all right, look, we can all agree traffic is terrible wherever we live, maybe except Melbourne, which is the world's greatest city. Uh, but look, back to Warney, it's it's hard to pick a one seminal moment beyond the ball of the century, isn't there? I mean, we talk, we go yeah. on and on about the ball of the century, but Warney had such a wonderful career. And besides that, I mean, he's created so many great memories. What would you guys? What do you guys hold on to in terms of memories of Warne? Um, You know, we all talk about the ball of the century. Yes, it was one of the best moments of the Ashes uh, back in that time. But if I have to actually uh, describe a moment which for me stood out the most was the 1996 World Cup uh, semi-final against the West Indies. 
man, what a turnaround. I have not seen a bigger turnaround than that, uh, you know, in my, you know, cricketing memories. I mean, there have been a lot more than that, but that was the best. You know, West Indies were coasting. I think they were chasing 207, 170-odd for two or something like that. Came Shane Vaughan. He just completely turned the game around and won the game for uh, for the Australians. Um, but that's that's who he was. He never just gave up. Like, even with IPL, there were so many games where you think it was done, dusted, but he would turn around. And one other moment which I'll say is the uh, Andrew Strauss wicket, 700th wicket, especially in Melbourne, the crowd behind him, you know, Boxing Day Test match, Beautiful, yeah. As as a Black Caps fan, it, it was a case of growing up, and if I'm being honest, just hating that Aussie team. It that they, they were so dominant, they were so good. While I was growing up and watching Warney, it was it was a case of just sheer hatred. Right, you you wanted him to fail. <laughs> In many ways, it was the peak of my hatred for this guy who was just unplayable, mm. and and arguably the peak of his career. His his contribution in the '99 World Cup semi-final against against South Africa. Uh, I mean, he, he got the four wickets, and I had to go back and and have a look at who he got out. I mean, l- listen to some of these names: Gary Kirsten, Herschel Gibbs, Hansi Kronia, and Jacques Callas. Right, that that is clutch. But in a low-scoring game, he had a 49-run partnership with Michael Bibb absolute clutch and 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 that was the point where you're just watching this going this guy is incredible yes mm. we hate him as 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 kiwis <laughs> as, as black caps fan he gives us so many reasons to dislike him but you just can't help but acknowledge that you are watching probably the greatest spinner to ever yeah that's a big call and actually Gurpreet on that on that note that question was posed by a journalist to Sonny Gavaskar wasn't it and he ends up getting himself in a bit of hot water with that with that reply <laughs> I, I mean, I was just going to say, um, Warney in India was was a whole nother story, and he was still revered quite strongly in India as well, and he was um, he was respected as well. And I remember personally in the '96 World Cup, um, I was in India with my uncles as a little kid, watching the story of the tournament, Sachin Tendulkar versus Shane Warne, and that was that was what everyone was camping out to see. And we were at a wedding on the same day. I mean, who would have even planned that to have a wedding on the same day India's playing Australia in a World <laughs> Cup? Uh, but that was where we were. We were in. We were outside the wedding hall. We had a little eight-inch CRT black and white TV, and there were twenty grown men huddled around watching Shane Warne bowl leg spin to Sachin Tendulkar. <laughs> the beautiful days when social distancing wasn't a thing. <laughs> it's still not. It's still not in some place. <laughs> you go to an Indian wedding now, there won't be any social distancing either. There's never have been, actually. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, actually, on, the, on that note of Sachin, you know, him, uh, Warne getting Sachin out, I remember an IPL game. Uh, Rajasthan Royals versus Mumbai Indians, and I think Mumbai Indians were coasting again. And he came and bowled a beautiful flipper, and he got such an LBW, and I think that turned the game around for Rajasthan Royals as well. So there is, there was always that moment that Shane Warne will come up, which will produce something out of the ordinary. You know, for me, honestly, it's it was one of those interesting things. I mean, Shane Warne was a was a great bowler, was a was a very very good bowler, and statistically, he might not have been the very, very 
very best out there, but he was definitely one of the top bowlers in the world. But for me, what really made him stand out and really kind of grow in stature was everything he did after he retired from Australian cricket. Um, his IPL performance, the way he led the IPL team, his um, some of his commentary and some the way the way he led Rajasthan to champions was absolutely the mark that I was like, wow, there was there's a genius behind Warren that we had not appreciated for so many years. And I think that was what was visible with Rajasthan. Mm. Point, point really well made, Ali. There were always these whispers to sources close to the Aussie dressing room that as a thinker, as a tactician, he was probably better than Ponting. But I guess because of misdemeanors, let's not focus on those. He could never become the captain. And I think just as you've said, the way he took that royal side and, and won the IPL, it just confirmed that as a as a thinker, as a, as a problem solver, he he really was very very special. Hundred mm, percent. Um, you know, when I started to realize that there there might be some truth to the entire thing that Warney might just be the captain Australia never had, is the two thousand and five Edge Baston Test in the Ashes where. He almost, almost took Australia home just by himself. He took four wickets. <clears throat> and to establish a bit of context, that was the game in which McGraw rolled his ankle. And I think Australia was practically down and out in the bowling lineup. And they had to rely on Vaughan and Gillespie. And if I remember correctly, Bretley wasn't even playing that match or something was up. But yeah, basically, he he almost took the game home. And I think the margin for England in that game was very, very tiny. Yeah. And that's, for me, that was the moment when I realized, you know, this guy might just be the captain without actually being the captain for the Australian lineup with the way he can think and with the way he has confidence in his abilities. And even before that test match, there was this entire thing about KP 600. He was on 590 something wickets. He came out and said, Kevin Peterson's going to be my 600 wicket. (laughs) It wasn't his 600 wicket, but at least he got into the English lineup's head. Like he's he's out there waiting for us. Um, there's a there is a story I was reading about him. Um, so England, I think they they got some hired some bowling machine or something, which was bowling like Shane Warne, and just they wanted to see how they actually pick up Shane Warne. You know how to play spin, and now we're going to conquer Shane Warne and things like that. And Richie Benno actually made a comment. The great Richie Benno, you can get the machine to actually bowl like Shane Warne. But it doesn't have the brains of Shane Warne. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when to ball what, the machine can't decide, mm. right? So no matter what you do, you're never going to get a Shane Warne again or a machine to do a Shane Warne. So that for me sums up his legacy. And you know, that that's so true because Shane Warne could do the most unpredictable things. It's funny because one of my most cherished memories of Warne isn't the ball of the century or the ball to Andrew Strauss or the semi-final in 99 or 96 or any of that. It is when you got under his skin in a one day, he'd come out and bowl 110k <laughs> bouncer. And the fast bowler in me goes, I like this man. Like he, he's, not, he's not limited by his craft to just go out there and you know, try and take people's heads off, even though he's a leg spinner. And I love mm. that aggression from him. I love the way he lived his life. And honestly, it's it's still hard to believe that, that he's gone. Well, that brings our first segment to a close. We will miss you, Warnie, and we thank you for the memories. 
Onto the cricket that's being played right now, and there is so much of it on right now. Pakistan are playing Australia on another one of their pristine national highways. So not lovely and flat. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> While just next door in India, Jasreed Bumbra and Mohammed Shami are picking up where Jadeja left off and bullying the visiting Lankans. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the big event, the Women's World Cup. The tournament is into its second week, and we've had some box office action so far. The Windies upset the White Ferns on day one in a nail-biter, and followed it up with another last-cast win over the English. India did in India, and beat Pakistan in the World Cup match. And the White Ferns seem to be kicking into gear with two wins on the trot, uh, until, of course, it's all come grinding to a halt today with a rather unfortunate loss to Australia. Sid, thoughts on the tournament so far? Um, the ones who were predicted to perform well, they have performed well. The ones who were predicted to, you know, not perform so well have actually maintained their reputations. <laughs> um, Australia, again, looks unbeatable, as they always do. Um, you know, India was trailing at number five before game yesterday, what a game it was. Uh, 317, at one moment I thought, geez, West Indies are looking pretty dangerous. I think it was like 11 or 12 overs. They were 100 mm-hmm. for no loss. No, geez, they want to finish the game in 40 overs. Uh, half an hour later, I think it's watching like a completely different game. Well, they did um, finish the game in 40 overs, didn't they? They did. They did. It's just the fact they didn't just win the game. That's the only problem. <laughs> well, not so much if you're an Indian fan. Uh, but yeah, I think West Indies, they stole two games, but finally the luck ran out. That's how I'll describe West Indies. I think they have one thing consistent between the men's and women's team. Keep hitting until you get out. Um, New Zealand had a bit of a shocker, so maybe that'll wake them up. Uh, you know that they need to just 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 uh, focus a bit more um for me the top two would be australia and i'm going to make this big call uh, one between india or new zealand Ooh, that's that the a big top call two. indeed yeah. where do the west indies figure for you do you think they've got it in them to make the semi-finals after those two big wins against england and new zealand don't think so Ooh. I think I think they'll just go back as the entertainers of the tournament. I mean, um, in terms of entertainment, can we all take a moment to appreciate that catch by Deandra Dotton? Oh, yes. yes. What a catch. What a catch. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you kind of grow up as a kid in the swimming pool. You're like, I want to practice that (laughs) catch, you know? Going to the wrong hand, full, full stretch, going backwards as well. Beautiful. Just, just absolutely beautiful. It's perfect mm. in every way. Some of the catching and fielding in this tournament has been amazing to see. Like, not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the keeping's been up such a high standard, hasn't it, Shivak? Oh, I have loved the keeping that's been on display in this tournament. For a long time, um, England's Sarah Taylor was my inspiration for how to keep down Lakeside. I think Amy Jones is her natural successor now. Kids, if you want to learn... Look at Amy Jones on YouTube. There is so much to learn from her technique with the way her hands move, then her head's move, head moves, and then the rest of her body follows. How she maintains visibility of the ball, how she takes those stumpings, incredible to see. Yeah, and the slips catching too. I was, I was marveling at Haley Matthews' take yesterday mm-hmm. against India. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely amazing. The, the level of athleticism being shown uh, in a sport where there isn't really a lot of funding. And yep. these ladies are coming out here and putting on a show you know, fair play to them. And, you know, the standard of play, like we've said, absolutely excellent so far. But look, guys, if we're being honest, who here on the panel regularly watches women's cricket? Is there anyone who can put their hand up and say they watch women's cricket on the regular? 
I see Sid putting his hand up. That, that's just that's cheating. That's <laughs> cheating, Sid. You, <laughs> Sid would watch Gilly Gilly Dundee if it was televised. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Growing up in India, you know, even there's a game on the roadside. You sometimes think, "Geez, I should actually stop and watch the game." You know, you put your scorecard out, didn't you? And started to, it started that's <laughs> for the for the boys there. Okay, yeah, look. Yeah. Um, no, the reason I asked that, guys, is because women's cricket. You know, we can see the quality out there, but it doesn't draw in the big numbers. Numbers don't lie. And it doesn't draw in the viewership, nor does it draw people to the ground. Why isn't this game more popular outside of World Cups? Um, it's to do with the funding as well. Um, mm. There's not a lot of funding which is being supported by ICC. And a lot of times, you know, now they've decided after so many years that they're not going to call a batsman and a batswoman anymore. It'll be a batter. batter. Um, so mm. what were they thinking for so many years? You know, if you want to support, you know, take this game to to women, you know, and and grow it in so many other nations. What are we actually doing about it? I see the same same teams playing again and again. And that was my point when I started. The usual suspects will be the top. The usual suspects will do nothing and eventually go home. Now, I'll, I'll cite one incident: India Pakistan game when it finished. The beautiful moment was when the Indian team was surrounding uh, Pakistan's captain when she was holding a baby in, in hands. Beautiful moment. But what wasn't so beautiful was the abuse the Pakistan team was getting from back home. You know that these mm. women are good for nothing. They should come home. Mm. They should. They they are best suited to kitchen and things like that. Those kind of comments do not help. You know, you know these these ladies come from such a struggle, such backgrounds where. Coming and playing mainstream cricket is not the easiest thing to do. And then to actually face those kind of comments, I think it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And yeah. this is exactly the reason this game is not growing in the women's space. Well, you know, when you look at it, it's the, the countries that are leading in the women's game are the countries that are putting the funding and the, um, and the pathways for women to get Absolutely. into cricket, right? 100%. Look, this game for women... This game is only eight years in, really. Professionally, women haven't played this game for longer than eight years. Before that, and even now, a lot of women who want to become want to play for their country are playing part time. They're they're working. Yeah. Sorry, they're playing full time, but they're working part time because they're semi professional. They can't be professional cricketers until they get the you know until they get good enough or get selected to play. And in other countries, it's the funding gap is so huge that it's never almost a professional sport. Yeah. Is it a chicken the next situation, do you think, guys? We're all diehard cricket fans, and we love watching the game, and we can appreciate the, the skill levels, but is the game physical enough to draw in the casual fan? And by physical, I mean, you know, those big hits, those big sixes, clearing the boundaries, you know, fast bowling, 140, 150 Ks an hour, as we see in the men's game. Is that is the lack of that holding the women's game back? Well, um, if you take Harman Preet Kaur as your benchmark, then I can tell you categorically that long hitting is definitely not a problem. <laughs> Absolutely, she can clear the ball further than I can without oh, yeah. even without oh, yeah. even breaking a sweat. So, no, I don't think long distance hitting is the problem. But I will agree with you, Bhavesh, on one of the things that I think the level of fast bowling can go up a notch or two. And I don't, and I mean this in a way that. When you look at somebody like Jaspreet Bumrah, he bowls at 140. The world record for the fastest women's bowler is about 120. So 
if you're a batsman, a batter, as I should say, in the women's game, you aren't being exposed to the same level of fast bowling as you would be in the men's game. Um, the pitch is the same length, so you definitely have the advantage of having a, a, a much higher reaction time. Um, skills like wicket keeping, skills like batting, skills like fielding, um, they sort of translate very well. There isn't much of a challenge over there, but I think the level of fast bowling can improve. Now, it may not even be that you coach people differently to bowl fast. It could just be a case of, you know, condensing the pitch a bit. We've already made the grounds shorter. We've made the ball smaller. So why not make the pitch a couple of yards smaller just to make it just as competitive? Just throwing out an idea over there. Condensing the pitch, Pavish, uh, Shavank, is is an interesting thought. I guess for me, and and I guess we can get into this, but when we talk about the funding and the money and the investment, particularly with fast bowling, um, and 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 this is someone who's grown up aspiring to be a fast bowler and failed miserably, but there is this um, there, there is this level of investment that you need in um, in conditioning and physicality. One hundred percent. And and that is very and to anyone who's ever tried this. You will know that it is it is highly technical. It requires a lot of strength. There is a lot of biomechanics that goes into it, and I am just not convinced that level of investment in any country comes anywhere near the men's game. Um, that's that that's a valid point, Kapit. I'll just compare it with another thing, uh, another sport uh, actually, uh, and that's hockey back in India in the eighties and the nineties. Um, they used to be just. Uh, travelers, you know, visitors to other countries because there was no funding. I actually saw, when I was in the uni, I actually saw the hockey team traveling in second class in the train. And and that's because they just couldn't afford to uh, travel in the first class, whereas cricketers were actually traveling business class on the plane, whereas these guys were taking 20-hour train journeys to go and play, say another country was visiting to play. And they, they, they got so much, so less money to support their diet for the whole day. Literally, you couldn't actually eat anything with that kind of money. So it, it all comes down to investment. Where the Indian hockey got picked, you know, started showing good signs was when investment started coming into it, funding started coming into it, people started taking it seriously. And, you know, they, they were given a platform where they could actually have a better diet, have better sports facilities, better coaches and things like that. And that's when things started improving. I think that's the same issue with women's cricket as well. There's no funding available. And un- unless you make that available, it's not going to happen. So, guys, is it about time we had a women's IPL? 100%. Oh, should have started two years ago, three years ago. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. And, of course, there might be some who might who might argue, and it's just playing devil's advocate here, but some <laughs> who might argue that is there enough depth within the women's game to, to cater for a large T20 league? Shivank, what are your thoughts on yeah. that? I mean, <laughs> where were the same people when Manpreet Goni and Ashok Dinda were playing for CSK? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if no, you no, want no. to clutch at straws, by all means, clutch at straws. Oh. But that's no, a long I'll, argument. I'll say one I thing. Where were yeah. those people when Manpreet Goni was playing for Indian legends in Dubai? When did he become a legend? <laughs> <laughs> and look, I'll be honest with you. I, would, I don't think Manpreet Goni could get into any of these sites. With no disrespect meant to him, but I don't think he'd get into the Indian women's side. They, I mean, the skill level has been so incredible. Um, and 
like you guys, I just can't believe that we don't have a women's IPL yet. And isn't there an opportunity to do something slightly different with the women's game than mm-hmm. we're doing with the men's game? The men's game is quite an anachronism in the world of sport because the international matches take precedence. and There's more international games than there are club games. Mm. There isn't enough women's international cricket anyway. Can we mm. not have far more women's franchise cricket build our player pool that way and yeah. follow the format of some other sports instead of mm. just aping the men's game? Yeah, I think um, Australia in particular has shown that the Big Bash uh, has been a big success for the women. And that's a good way to grow out the women's game and get ex- get the player pool to grow as well and to introduce young players and get them playing at that level. So there's no doubt why the um, why India can't do the same, why other countries can't do the same. Uh, absolutely agree, Ali. I, I think a lot of this, particularly in a country like New Zealand, where, let, let, let's be honest, even at the best of times, rugby gets to cherry pick our best athletes. I, I think if we had these other career pathways, like a women's IPL, it it would just give women aspiring to play the game a an avenue that just isn't there, and and as a result, I think we end up losing a lot of our best athletes to to sports like rugby. Yeah, definitely. Like um, yeah. I think that was one of the conversations I was going down is if cricket doesn't fund the women's sport, uh, women who would make great cricketers who are great, who are really good cricketers. We'll go to basketball, we'll go to footy, we'll go to rugby, go to league, tennis, go to the other avenues where they can continue playing sports and being active and being athletes and not cricket. Even though they'd love to play cricket, it's just not an avenue. On a slight tangent, and Sid can correct me on the dates, but I think last year or the year before, the Indian women players were finally allowed to play in the Women's Big Bash over here in Australia. And they were almost here, but then the BCCI scheduled another tour or two and let these players go on the tour. Big controversy back then, but I really wish the players actually showed up to the BBL, uh, the WBBL. The exposure they would have had to a different kind of cricket would have been so much better for the general level of talent available. Yeah. They have actually played in the WBBL. Ahmanpreet Kaur has played. Uh, Mandana has played. And I think that has to be... Uh, an ongoing thing, not a one-off thing. Um, mm. Unless they, again, you know, how much have the players on the men's side improved playing these different leagues? The same thing can happen for women's cricket as well. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, and Ali, I mean, uh, you've been living in Australia for a long time and you've been able to see developments in the women's game up close. Mm. How big an impact has the women's BBL made on the just the brand recognition of women's cricket in Look, Australia. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really good point because it's not even about brand recognition, right? In the end of the day, it's about how many little girls want to how get excited by cricket, right? And this happened before. Before, little girls used to have to watch men and aspire to be male cricketers. Now they get to see women and they aspire to be women cricketers. They aspire. They, they aspire to do the same things their female their you know other females are doing on the on on the field on the TV and that is a difference and you know uh, the 2020 World Cup final between Australia and India women's World Cup final uh, Australia and India and MCG was a sellout 
it was 90,000 people. Like, it got, you know, the country got behind it. There was a lot, a lot of support. It was an ex- exceptional game. Mm. Uh, and, you know, this was on the cusp of COVID. So we were allowed to have 90,000 people back then. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it's, it's definitely growing and it's definitely popular as well. And it's, it's really boosting um, those female athletes and boosting the pool because five, 10-year-olds want to become professional cricketers. Ali, it's a, it's a point that's beautifully made. And I, I think it ties in really well to, to what Sid was saying about the Pakistanis going down and some of the reaction in, in Pakistan. Mm. I, I think the more of the, the female role models that we have, not just for little girls, but for society in general, the better it's going to be for the game. You know, whether it be for aspiring athletes or whether it be for, for people who think in, in all sorts of parts of the world that all parts of the world that, that women shouldn't be playing cricket. I, I think something like a women's IPL is, is just imperative to change some of those mindsets. Yep. 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 Yeah. Absolutely right, guys. More women's cricket, more women's franchise cricket, anything to boost this game is long, long overdue. It's gone beyond just being a commercial imperative. It's a moral imperative. Yeah. And, I do, I do want to say in closing that I hope that this panel of five men has not in any way veered into <laughs> the realm of mansplaining women's cricket. We, we really, really do want to see this sport grow and we want to see more of it because the cricket has been fantastic. We want to see more of it on our screens. We want to see more of it in our fields. And Ali, sorry, you had something to say before we finish up. Can I add one little bit of historical um, trivia tidbit? Um, professional women's cricket, the very first professional women's cricket was played in 1980, um, just a little bit before Bavesh was born. But <laughs> <laughs> at about three decades before Shivank. <laughs> Sorry, I said we wouldn't make any jokes. Sorry, Shivank. <laughs> hey, you know I will be editing this but... episode. <laughs> You're going to Bavesh, fuck my Bavesh voice, aren't you? joke about me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was really interesting. Back in England in 1890. Um, there was, you know, basically they just wanted women to come out and play cricket. They paid them about 15,000 to 20,000 people turned up to watch them. Oh. Right. They were professional, they were professional because they got paid to come play and play, like play cricket. It was interesting because the ad never said that you had to be good at cricket or have played it before <laughs> to come play. So the game would have definitely been very interesting to, to watch, but professional, uh, professional female cricketers in 19, uh, in 1890. And the Women's World Cup predates the Men's World Cup as well. They actually played that before the men. So they've been pioneers in so many ways. And I think it's about exactly. time that the sport gives back to the group of people who have given the sport so much. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much to all our panelists for your comments and opinions. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. Look, if you want to get sports nerdy with the team, you can reach us on Facebook or Twitter at the Backpass Pod, And of course, Feel free to follow us on Spotify. It does keep the gerbils who keep the servers running paid. Uh, and we also do pay Shivank in hugs and likes. So this definitely goes a long way. We're going on break next week, but we'll be back on the 27th with more sports analysis and banter right here on The Backpass. Pass.